With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bases. I'm Kyle Seeloff, and our guest today is New Marlins third base coach and infield instructor Al Padrique. Al has spent decades in the game, and he will unquestionably be of great help to the Marlins in 2022 and moving forward as well. I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. We are two days away from the new year, so an early Happy New Year as well. Um, Not much of anything else to discuss right now, or for that matter, that we can discuss, although we are about six weeks out from the start of spring training up in Jupiter. As soon as the calendar flips, every offseason spring training gets Sonia in a hurry, so looking forward to pitchers and catchers reporting next month, and who knows, maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll have some news and we can talk about the team as well. So, Okay, time for the interview portion of today's show. Here is Al Padrique. Okay, joining us now is a gentleman that spent parts of three seasons in the major leagues as a shortstop with the New York Mets, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Detroit Tigers. Since his on-field retirement, he has managed in the minor leagues for the Diamondbacks, the Astros, and the Royals. He came back to the big leagues in 2003 as a third base coach for the Diamondbacks. He spent time as the Houston Astros bench coach. He joined the New York Yankees organization in 2013. He joined the Oakland A's big league staff in 2017. He was most recently the manager of the Marlins AAA affiliate, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, and it was recently announced he'll be back in the big leagues in 2022 as the Marlins' third base coach and infield instructor. Let's say hello and welcome to the show, Al Padrique. Al, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? Doing good, Kyle. Good morning. Uh, nice to have you know having me on the show. Uh, it's good to chat with you, and uh, I just run down all that stuff. Did you ever think <laughs> your career on and off the field would take you coast to coast through the minors and the majors so many times? Uh, not at all. Uh, you know, as a kid, uh, I grew up back in Venezuela. That's where I'm from. And my, my dream was to play, you know, in the major league like all the kids. And my hero was Dave Concepcion, a shortstop in the 70s for the Cincinnati Reds. And, and my dream was to, you know, be like him. Uh, play a lot of years in the big league, uh, but it never crossed my mind that I wanted up coaching this long, which I'm, I'm very happy, uh, very lucky. And thank God that, you know, he had given me the opportunity to stay in the game, which I, I love a lot. But again, uh, I've been in the game now for 43 years. And like I said, it never crossed my mind um, that I will last, uh, I will stay in the game this long. Throughout the course of 43 years, Al, what's the most important lesson you've learned forging so many different relationships? You've met thousands, managers, coaches, players. Uh, just treat people the way you want to be treated. That's the one thing that I learned from my parents. Uh, that's the one thing that Jose Tartabu Sr., he was my first hitting coach in 1995 when I retired, mm. and I managed the short season for the Kansas City Royal. And this gentleman helped me a lot. And that was the first thing that he told me. Hey, I know you have played the game long enough. You understand the game. You know the game, uh, the game well. But just remember one thing. Treat people the way, the way you want to be treated. 
and, and it stuck in my mind, uh, Cal, and I would say that's one of the reasons uh, that I met and ran into so many good people, players, coaches, staff, front office people. And, and uh, I can honestly say that I've been treated without respect. Take me back to when you were younger, Al, growing up in Venezuela. Um, you, me- you mentioned Dave Concepcion, but what made you fall in love with the game of baseball? Was it him? It was him, basically. Well, from my dad's side, they'll play baseball, uh, uh, college level, uh, amateur. Uh, my dad and his twin brother, they were uh, shortstop, second baseman com- combination on the Army back in Venezuela for you know over 13, 14 years. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think they still had the record on the softball tournament. Uh, they turned uh, 13 double plays. And back then was a record. I don't know if it's still in place. But uh, my uncle, uh, he also, my dad's brother, uh, older brother, he also managed uh, one of the big college back in Venezuela. And he won a couple championships managing the, um, the, the college and the capital in Caracas. A uh, couple of my cousins uh, played, uh, you know, uh, through college. Uh, one of my cousins from my mom's side, which is Garcia, uh, he played for the Angel. He played for the Pirates. Uh, so it, it, it runs in the family, you know. And uh, anytime we get together, we start playing softball. We try to play softball. <laughs> and, and, yes, it, it, it runs in my family. And if I remember right, I started going to softball field since I was four or five years old. Uh, you know, watching my dad play in his uh, softball tournament uh, in the Army. And, and since then, you know, uh, I love the game. And then when I was like 10, 11, and I started watching professional baseball back in Venezuela, that's where I saw David Concepcion. Back in those days, he was very popular because the Cincinnati Reds, uh, Red Machine. And I, uh, I saw him playing the game, and I just love the way he, he played the game and how he went by his business. You were around the game, obviously, growing up. It's in your family. It's in your blood. At, at what age, Al, were, did you get the sense or did somebody kind of tell you, and it had to have been in your teens, maybe late teens, that you've got an opportunity to go play professionally. It's not going to be easy. You have to go to the United States. You have to do all this. But at, at what point in your life did playing Major League Baseball, professional baseball, become a reality for you? I would say, uh, Kyle, when I was probably 14, 15, uh, the more I follow and watch baseball games back in, uh, in Venezuela, and the, the few conversations that I had with Dave Concepcion, um, I remember telling him, and I was maybe, like I say, 15 years old, um, uh, I remember telling him that someday I would like to play, be a professional baseball player and play in the majors like you, you, you doing it. And he said, well, you know, it takes a lot of sacrifices. Make sure you get an education, finish, you know, high school. But in order for you to play the game on uh, real baseball, you somehow you have to play in the States. Back in those days in Venezuela, uh, professional baseball, professional athlete, uh, it wasn't a big thing in the country. You, gotta ha- you, you had to go to college, get a degree in order to, you know, be somebody in life. And then once baseball started growing and, and more people signed, started signing, and, and it seemed like a, uh, Venezuela embraced and, and accepted the fact that baseball was a career, okay? So Bodia was another guy that talked to him quite a bit, uh, you know, uh, watching play for the Caracas Lions team back in Venezuela. And it was a big rival 
between both Diaz team and Dave Concepcion uh, teams in those days. So I ran into both Diaz and basically he said the same thing. If you want to play real baseball, you have to go to the States. Here in Venezuela, you know, you can play, but it's not going to be, it's not, you're not going to get an opportunity uh, to make a, a career. Right. So when I turned 16, 17, 16, I went to this uh, national uh, tournament, baseball tournament, and I represent my state. And uh, one of the scouts, uh, one of the reporters, uh, was a good friend of one of the owners in Venezuela. And he told me, hey, he asked me, would you like to play professional baseball? I said, yes, I'm dying. <laughs> I, this, that's my dream. And he said, well, I know the owner of the uh, charge team that's based in the capital. And if you really want to play, I think you have a chance. You have, you know, you can feel, you can run, your arm is great. Uh, I think you have a chance to get signed. So that's how the whole process started. And finally, my opportunity came in 1977. I went to Argentina and played international team where we beat Cuba two to one. Mm. So when I came back, so when we came back to Venezuela, the reporter already talked to the owner about, about me. And then how, that's how I got invited to one of, like I say, tryout uh, for a week in the capital. And, that, and then a, a scout from the Mets came to Venezuela, and that's how I got signed. What was the process like signing back then and the transition of getting to the States? Uh, the, the, the process, it was okay. I mean, back then, the signing bonus, they weren't too high, okay, especially right. for international players. But uh, I had a, a tryout for a week, and I remember we started like with 55 uh, kids. Mm. And then I made the final cut, and that year, that local team and the Mets, they signed by seven players wow. out of 55. And I, I was one of them. You know, that's why I said, <laughs> thank God I got the opportunity. And, and that's how, you know, back then, scouts used to go to tryouts, so they got invited by uh, one of the owners uh, on teams. Uh, they ran tryouts for a week, week and a half, and they always, you know, keep players working out for the extra two weeks, and then the scout will come back and, and make the, you know, will make the final decision. The guys will be signed. So, you know, I was part of the group, uh, but uh, back then I thought that was uh, probably a little harder because back then it wasn't any academy. Right. You had to work out on your own, or we played on, on uh, private uh, teams. Uh, they probably, you knew somebody that uh, had a company, like the phone company, cable company, and they will come up with these uh, teams and season. And that's how uh, back then baseball, you know, uh, the kids were wise so followed by scouts. Wow. Where was your first stop with the New York Mets? Where did you first land when you wow. came to the States? It was a, a beautiful New York. Uh, it was a town, uh, Little Falls, New York. Oh, a small okay. town. Up in North uh, Little Falls, New York. Yep. I fell, I fell in love with that little town, although I got homesick for uh, a couple of weeks uh, twice. I, asked, I told the Mets, I want to go home, you know, and I remember calling my dad and I told them, I said, you know what? I would like to come home. I'm homesick. And my mom said, wait a minute. You decide, you, you pick. We support you. Right. We give you the option. You either go to college and get a degree or you, if you want to play professional baseball, you're going to have to work hard you know, to get to, to the big league, to the major, it won't be easy. And then when they told me, if you're coming back, you go right into college. You're not going to hang around with your friends and do nothing. You go back to college, get a degree, then get a job. But um, again, I was in Little Fall, New York, beautiful town. I met so many good people that took care of me that, you know, I stand in a couple of friends' house for free. 
I was living next to the next uh, to the stadium. Hmm. I, you know, I didn't have a car. I just walked to the stadium back and forth. It was great, great experience for a kid that was 70 years old. Uh, you know, in this small town, and I was amazed, and I still appreciate the fact that they took care of me. Al, take me back 40 years. If you called your dad and said, I'm coming home and you gave up baseball, what would life have looked like for you 40 years ago? And what would you probably be doing today? I would be teaching a physical education. Huh. Uh, oh, you know, yes, I, I always love sport. And as a matter of fact, my first three months in college before, I, you know, right after I signed, I went back to Venezuela and, and did some classes. Uh, it was about, you know, uh, physical education, becoming a professional coaching uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and my goal was to improve on my English. But uh, I, I would say that would be right now, probably, I, I might be, probably I'll be retired, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll be, you know, teaching, uh, teaching kids how to play the game or, you know, play uh, any sports. Al, you debuted in 1987 for the New York Mets. Uh, that was a team. I find some of this stuff fascinating. That was a team that was one year removed from winning the World Series for the second time in franchise history and a roster that was still very much intact with a lot of star power. There has been the ESPN 30 for 30s on those 86 Miracle Mets. What was it like at 26 years old, a Venezuelan native coming to New York City, debuting in that city and being in that clubhouse? I know you weren't there long, but I'm sure you've got some fascinating stories from that team. Oh, it was amazing. I, I would say, Kyle, that started, right, you know, from spin training. When yeah. I got, I got invited uh, to Big League Camp last year, that year, I was, I thought, well, why they invite me? This team is loaded. They just won the, the the World Series. I mean, they don't need players. That's when I realized, okay, they have, they gotta have extra players so the starters will get some rest and you know be ready and will take the time to get ready for the season. And luckily, that you know, that, that spring training, I had a great spring. I hit well, played good defense. Uh, David Johnson played me everywhere as a first base and outfield, but I was short, second, third. And if I remember right, I think I played in, in every game and spring training that year. Wow. And remember back in those days, they had the B game and A game. Right. So sometime I will play the B game and he will say, well, stay for the A game, for the <laughs> afternoon game. So, hey. A kid again by the big league camp with a world champion that says, you better keep your mouth shut. Don't complain. You get a chance to play. And like I said, I had a great spring. Dave Magnan was supposed to be the third baseman that year. He got hurt. So he started the season on the DL. And that's how I made the team as a uh, backup infielder. Wow. Santana was a short. Wally Batman was a second. Team Tuffle. So that team was loaded. And getting to New York, I remember we just flew from, you know, Florida to New York, and then from New York, we took the bus uh, to the stadium. And when I saw Cheese Stadium, I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. And to, to tell you a quick story, in 1970, my parents took us to New York for Christmas. That was a Christmas present because back then, my dad's twin brother was living in New York. Wow. Our first major league game, it was in Cheese Stadium, Cincinnati Reds against the Mets. Really? Yeah, and I remember my dad got tickets way up there, like in the third level in left field, and it was so high, and we could barely see the players. But, you know, after the game, we wait for Dave Concepcion. He came out, he signed autographs, two photos. So for me, that was the greatest Christmas present uh, that I ever got in my life, uh, going to New York and got the chance to go to Chiefs Stadium. So in 1987, when I flew to New York and we drove into Chiefs Stadium, I said, oh, my gosh, I'm back in Cheese Stadium. 
So it was great. Uh, you know, and also I was very nervous. Mm. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was very nervous. A kid that way that long played eight and a half years in the minor league and finally got a chance to uh, be in the big league. How special is it going back to New York every time you go, Al? I mean, obviously we'll be back a lot this year, but you mentioned it's the first real experience you ever had in the Major League Stadium, and that place was massive. I went there growing up. If you sat in the upper deck, the players looked like little ants, but there was something special about it. You debut there. When you go back this year and you're just standing at third base in City Field, are you just flooded with memories? I mean, you can see Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, all these guys from those teams. Uh, what, what are the memories like? It would be great, no doubt about it. And I'm, I'm sure if I see those guys on the field, I'm going to walk by and, and, and probably introduce myself again, <laughs> you know, and just to remind them, hey, remember me, Al Patrick? And, and, and the reason, Cal, is because they treat me so well, really? okay? And remember, this is the team the year before won the World Series. And this is a kid that got invited to Big League Camp out of nowhere, although I had a good year in Triple A the right. year before. But with the team, a lot of starts. And I tell you what, they, they treat me like I was part of the, the team right away. Uh, they helped me with a lot of advices. Uh, Keith, man, they always talk about hitting. Mookie Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, Rafi Santana basically, you know, taught me a lot of stuff at shortstop, how, to, how early you need to get to the park, which I already have my routine. But watching those guys, how they did things, it was super special. So definitely every time I get, you know, the chance to go back to New York, even when I go with my wife just for a, a, a vacation, I always talk to her about my memories because of how I was treated and the fans, the atmosphere in the cheese stadium was outstanding. So, yes, every time I get back, I, I get butterflies on my stomach. Uh, just looking back at those days, and those are, are great memories. There's a lot of guys from that team that are still very much involved in the game, and I was looking up and down the roster this morning, Al, and it caught my attention looking back that Mel Stottlemyre was the pitching coach of the 87 Mets. I'm curious, was Mel Jr. around at all, running around at Shea Stadium back then, and how surreal is it that today he's the pitching coach here in Miami and you've got an opportunity to work with him? Uh, it, it, to be honest, with you, I can really uh, remember him yeah. running around the club because there were so many kids yeah. in that team that year. It was <laughs> awesome. But as a matter of fact, I ran into Mel uh, Junior uh, with the Diamondbacks. Okay. Okay. And right. just the fact that he said hello when we ran into each other with the Diamondbacks, the way he did it, and he said, "Oh, just remember me." I said, "Well, I remember you, Dad, but I don't remember you." You know, <laughs> but. And it, it was funny because last year when we went to uh, uh, Jupiter and spin training started, he said hello like we, we know each other for a long time. Oh, that's awesome. So for me, for me that, you know, it stays in my head and my mind, my brain, how people treat you. And, and, and Mel, he's a great guy. His dad was super, super mm. great guy. And, and, and they're funny because even though he was a pitching coach, he always found the time to talk to the position players. And I'm sure he wanted to get some information or feedback, what the hitters will think when they go to the plate, that kind of, the, those kind of conversations. Right. But just the fact that this gentleman, when you walk in the clubhouse, if you run into him, he will say, good morning. Hey, how you doing? How you feeling? So it, it, it was great uh, to be around people like that. Mel Jr., he's, uh, he's one of the best. That's, that's awesome. Okay, Al Padrique, Marlins third base coach, infield instructor, joining us on this episode of Beyond the Bases. Um, Al, what appealed to you 
about joining the Marlins and managing Jacksonville last season and ultimately now joining the big league club this upcoming season? Well, it's great. As a matter of fact, when I retired in 1995, I played for the Marlins and AAA in Edmonton, Canada. Oh, wow. So I have some kind of connection, I guess, with the Marlins. And back then, we played with so many great players. Uh, You know, they, they just got drafted by the Marlins, you know, uh, we played, I played with older, it was an older team, a lot of free agent, but it was a great team. And now, you know, coming back to the Marlins last year, managed AAA and also had great coaching staff, had great players, uh, overall, you know, great team uh, to work with. Uh, we had a good year despite, despite all the problem with the pandemic, okay, all the protocol, right. when they're having a good year. Now getting the chance to, uh, be the third base coach in field coach. I mean, it, it's great. Uh, and that's a sign, uh, Cal, when you uh, work hard, you respect the game, you respect the people, and you do the things right, uh, you know, people will take care of you. you. You get rewarded for your hard work, your dedication, your preparation, your respect for the game. And I think the Marlin is all about that, respecting the game and doing things the right way. Al, do you get the grandkids out in the backyard in Arizona? Do you practice your wave coming around third? <laughs> what's the, what's well, the off-season preparation look like? <laughs> well, not quite yet. They're only uh, uh, two years and a year and okay. a half. So I got to take it easy on them or my, my daughters, you know, will kill me. But uh, <laughs> at least in my mind, believe it or not, in my mind, my off time, I sit on the back patio whether smoking a cigar or have a you know, glass of wine. I'm thinking about the game. Okay, game situation. Uh, it's all about when you love the game, you have the passion. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm lying to you. Somebody will be lying to you for this. Oh, I don't think about the game at all in the offseason. Right. For me, that's a lie because I was thinking game situation, uh, who's on deck, uh, what type, wh- where we are, the field, grass. So all those details that you have to pay attention as a third-back coach, I always keep that in my mind because you got to stay sharp. Uh, the, people say the game changed. For me, the game is the same. Okay, the preparation now is, is, yeah, is deeper. You get a lot of information, but always finding a way to stay, uh, uh, you know, with the game and especially in my mind, stay sharp and and ready. I think you kind of just answered the question. And I, and I joke about you being in the backyard, obviously, but, but what is the key to coaching third base? Because I think... And it's understandable. Fans are like, huh, this guy, he's in a big league uniform. He's rounding guys around third. We're scoring. We're having fun. Uh, he's providing the guy at first and second and third a few signs. What, what is the key to a very kind of high-pressure position? Yeah, you have to anticipate. And you have to be, obviously, you have to do the homework. You got to know the outfielder's arm strength. You got you to gotta know your own players. Uh, the base running is huge. You got to know who's fast, who's slow, uh, who's a smart base runner, who needs uh, you know more attention while he's on the bases. Everybody's different. Right. So as long as you know your personnel, you know the style of your manager, how he li- likes to run the team, I think the rest will come. I won't say easy, but you will be organized and you will know what to expect depending on the game situation. So as long as you do your homework, you know your players, Okay, and, and you stay on top of game situation, pitch by pitch, inning by inning. Uh, obviously, the the rest uh, will follow. It will be a lot easier when you have to make those tough decisions that you have maybe one second to make the decision to send the guy or hold the guy at third base. But if you know your manager, his style, 
and you communicate with the players well on a daily basis, uh, I think you, you'll be successful. What's a big league season look like for you, Al? Because as, a, as you sit here and kind of tell me about those responsibilities at third, you don't lose sight of your responsibility to teach an infield. You've got four positions out there. Each individual is different. Each position is different. And the ability to play that position is different. And you're working with anywhere between what, maybe six to eight guys on a daily basis, potentially. Um, where did you learn about coaching the infield from, or is that all just from th- three-plus decades in, in the game? Um, and, and what kind of does a typical day look like for you? I could, you know, there's a lot of different guys that need a lot of different attention to make sure that this thing's firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I think I, uh, I would say it's a combination that being the, in the game for so long, Okay, you you play with uh, I play with good infielders against great infielders. Uh, I have good coaches that help me uh, to pay attention to detail how to pick the little things that will help the players to get better. So that combination throughout my career as a player now coaching, uh, it has given me the the chance to help players to get better. Uh, the key in this situation where I'm going to be the infield coach is to know everybody, all the six, six seven infielder that will have in the roster right. know each other uh, understand where they're coming from they all they all had different needs they had different talent they all, have, they all have, will have different areas where they need to get better mm-hmm. so my job is to identify th- those players and where they would need help the most because once you you read the strength it's like okay let's do whatever we can to keep the strength sharp right. let's concentrate on your weakness how we can get to the next level, improve, so you can be better, help the team win. So once you identify your personnel and you know each, each guy needs and you come up with drills, you come up with ideas, you run it by them, and the communication is key. The communication has got to be both ways. And you have to be honest with them. You have to be upfront. This is what I see. And this is what, if we do this, this is what's going to help you better. At least I ask them, Give me a chance to go out and try and, and see how you feel. Don't give me an answer no right away without trying right. because and then, you know, uh, we're not going to communicate well. Or we're not going to go anywhere. And the bottom line is to get you guys better in order to help the team. So as long as I do my homework the way I'm supposed to and, and, and find the weakness on each guy and find drills where everybody's different and it's going to help them, I think it, you know, that's where you can be successful in, in as an infield coach. Marlins third base coach and infield instructor Al Padrique joining us on this episode of Beyond the Bases. Um, Al, you mentioned some of the coaches, managers, and the people you've met um, in your time in the game. Uh, the gentleman I just wanted to ask you about, you were traded by the Mets to the Pirates in May of 1987. I'm just wondering, he's a titan in the game, in the industry. How influential was Jim Leland, or has he been on your career going back to your days playing for the Pirates when he was managing that club? He was. As a matter of fact, Jim Leland was a First guy, if I'm not mistaken, while I was taking ground ball in Three Rivers Stadium, and I stopped. He was right behind me, and he said, "He asked me, Al, uh, would you like to be a manager someday?" Really? I said, "Jim." He said, "Jim, come on. I just got to the big league. I want to enjoy myself, <laughs> and I'm trying to, you know, stick around so I can play as much as I can in the big league." It took me nine years in the minor. He said, "No, seriously. Would you like to stay in the game?" I said. Yeah, I love the game. I have passion. I love to teach. And he said, well, keep working hard because I can see you in the future managing 
in, uh, in the game. I don't know about the majors, but you will stay the game long enough to make a career uh, in, in baseball as a coach. I said, are you serious? He said, yes. And I asked him, I said, well, how come? He said, well, your preparation, your dedication, you know the game. You're always asking questions. You're always paying attention to detail. And you have the, everything that a manager will need to be successful. So, well, Jim, I appreciate it, but don't be thinking about my name anytime soon. <laughs> That's so, unbelievable. Jim, I mean, that was, that was yeah. what, 1987 and you were 26 years old? That much? Yes. You know, even a conversation like that, correct me if I'm wrong, but even in the big leagues playing then, that had to give you, yeah. you so much confidence. Yeah, definitely. And that time, I had so much respect for them, for him because I thought, well, wait a minute. He's really paying attention to what I'm doing here on the field. And that's the key about Jim Leyland. He, mm. he took the time to know his player. He took the time, his time to communicate with every single one on that field. It was amazing. You, you barely saw Jim Leyland behind the batting cage watching batting practice. He was always walk, walking around the field talking to the players. Or he will see in the dugout and grab somebody and have a conversation with a player. So in the clubhouse, he was very uh, sentimental. He, he, you know, he was great communicating with the players, whether you had a good game or a bad game. And that's something that stuck in my mind. And I say, anytime, or if I become a manager, anytime, I, that's the one thing I would love to do, be able to communicate with my players and, and really show them who I am on a daily basis. You see what I'm saying? Because some guys. How much pride do you take now in getting to know your infielders in a 26 man roster? Even if it's a pitcher in the bullpen and you really don't work with them, how important is it to you to get to know these guys as human beings? I mean, it's huge. For me, it's a a key for success. When you spend that time, you show that you really care about their career and and the the personal lives, you know, and, and just. Feel that that the, the communication build the relationship with your players, regardless if he's an infielder, a catcher, outfielder, pitcher. But make them feel like they're part of the team. Right. Okay. It's not only because we got to be on the field, we got to work as a team to win games. But hey, anytime you need something off the field, right. I'm here to help you. I'm here to be, you know, to support you. That's awesome. Um, Al, I, selfishly, I could chat with you all day long, but your wife's going to be up. You're going to miss breakfast, lunch, no. and dinner. But listen, hey, I got one She's more fine. before I let you go. Um, and I do appreciate the time. Uh, do you have any stories to share with me about my buddy and my seatmate on the plane, Louis Durante, who set this up? He kind of screwed up, laid on us. He, he forgot to send you the memo. I need a good story about Louis. I'm sure you know his dad well, right? I know he does well. We managed <laughs> against each other a few years back in Venezuela. Too. He's a Great, great baseball man. He's smart. Uh, and I, I said it before, he was one of the toughest managers that I have to manage against. Really? We, oh, yeah. Luis, because he, he, he will always come up with this uh, situation, uh, a play like safety squeeze, or he will, you know, put a hit run where you think, well, he's not going to do it because the count is not his favor, or this guy, the play will put the ball on play. So he will always be creative uh, managing. So, him it was a, one of the toughest guys that I had to you know manage against him and, and win a ball. He's great. Uh, I love Luis because he's always talking about the game. Uh, as a matter of fact, we worked together in the minor league with the Yankees. Obviously, you know I was uh, you know probably double A and triple A. He was an able high, but in spin training almost every day we talk about the game, game situation, 
how to handle players, uh, you know, that come from different levels, that make a lot of money. Because I had the chance to manage the Diamondbacks in 2004, the interim manager, when Bob Bradley got fired. So I had the opportunity to deal with players like Randy Johnson, Luis Gonzalez, Steve Fenley, Paerga, Alomar. And Luis will ask me, how do you do that? How do you handle those guys that make a lot of money? So we always shared thoughts, ideas, and that's how you build relationship. That's how you get better as well. But I don't have any real story about Junior, okay? Uh, because we haven't had the chance yet to, to sit down and really talk. So we just say hello when we run into each other during spin training uh, this year. But I'm sure that now that we're going to be uh, seeing each other more often, uh, I'm sure that something will come up. No, I'm sure it will. He's uh, he's the absolute best. So, Al, we appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. I look forward to doing so again soon and getting the opportunity to meet you in person when everybody reconvenes up in Jupiter in a couple of months. So thanks again. Merry Christmas to you and the family, and we'll see you soon. You too, Cal. Thank you very much, and Merry Christmas. Okay, thank you to Al for joining us. That was, for me, one of the more fun conversations that I've had. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. Happy New Year. Be safe, subscribe, and follow. And we'll have an all-new episode of Beyond the Bases for you really soon.